Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Will. I'm Brian. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons from organized orphans to oscillating orbs. And today we're covering optional rules. Again. Again. Hey, Brian. Hey, Will. How you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. And uh, I'm excited to finish off uh, what we started in our last uh, optional rules episode. And We have more to say. We have more to say. We have more, more to talk about. And uh, More rules. After this, we're done. No more optional <laughs> rules. Probably until maybe more come out. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I think I have like six or seven pretty big ones to talk about today. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, I would like that. The first optional rule that we're going to talk about is inspiration. Cool. I am very unclear on how this actually works. Oh, really? Okay. So Kinda. we don't really do that, you know. This is this is the first new optional rule that was uh, really being touted when D and D Next was was coming out. That became D and D Five E. Well, I mean, it's like it's on the character sheet. There's a it space is. For it. it is. It's probably uh, it's probably the most well known and understood by the most D and D players. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with Inspiration, it is essentially. A resource point that can be given at the DM's discretion to a player as a reward for role-playing their character well. Or whenever they want. <laughs> or whenever they want, but it's it's supposed to be around the idea of um, Good job. above and beyond role-play. I like what you did there with the voice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, and or, or, like, actually, rather than saying, like, oh, my character gives a speech and rolling, you know, a charisma check... Actually do the doing speech. the speech, yeah, okay, stuff yeah. like that, stuff like that. So the idea is, uh, the idea being to give players an incentive to role play in ways that are true to their character, even if doing so leads to obvious negative repercussions. Mm. So things like, yeah, out of character, I'm pretty sure this door is trapped, but in character, my dude's a doofus. So right. I'm going to just try and jiggle the the knob open. So it's incentive <clears throat> for players to do, because I, I, I kind of feel like that is the, like... That's kind of the way we should all be playing the game. Right, right. Uh, so I, I just feel like that's 
why reward a player for doing what is the just yeah. normal kind of but right but, but i i know what you're saying like when they get really into it and they're really <clears> giving it like they're all like oh that was dope like you did really good there like Here's an inspiration point. Right. Now, inspiration, it's not a rule we really use at the table. Uh, mostly because we don't need to incentivize that type of role play at the table because it's right. just the way we play. That's the We we sit down to do that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, now, I, I feel like inspiration is primarily a tool that is used to incentivize role play in newer players that may be unaccustomed, nervous, embarrassed, etc. to role play. Okay. So um, I've used it before and I've actually found it fairly effective when... Um, when when playing with new players, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely feel it is of much less use and often forgotten at more veteran tables, including ours. Okay, like because it's you know we uh, I could use it at the Super Quest Saga table, but I'll never remember to, and I don't need to. So yeah, that's we'll why forget, I'll never remember. We'll forget to. we have it because we're just <clears> like I feel like we do pretty pretty strong when we play. Right. Uh, the the other thing I think you could do with this is flip it on its head and just like. You manipulate the mechanic and abuse it if you want. If you want to, like, you know how there's like hero points as an optional rule, right? This right, could right. be like a, a variant of that in a lot of ways. You just have a character or a player just going above me on constantly to garner up inspiration. Yeah, like, uh, like <laughs> you, I guess you could, could be yeah. you could be um, liberal with it as a DM on purpose to make the game, uh, you know, you could make the game a little harder, and f- inspiration might be needed for <clears> players to. You could Pass you obstacles. could build the campaign with the mechanic in mind. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Um, just to kind of round out how inspiration works, though, because we didn't really actually cover it, is the way you spend inspiration, if you as a player do have it, is by choosing to spend your inspiration when you make an attack roll, a saving throw, or an ability check. Um, doing this will give you advantage on said roll. So that's what inspiration is. You role play really well. The DM wants to reward you for doing such a good job. Guess what? You get to have advantage on whatever role it is that you want to do next. That you see fit as the player. Exactly. That's pretty powerful. And you can hold on to inspiration for as long as you want. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Don't forget about it on your character sheet. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Okay. So... As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's a pretty big prominent spot like in like upper center on the character sheet. But I it haven't is. looked at a character sheet in so long. I don't know. <laughs> you don't do that no more. I don't do that anymore. I okay. never really did much playing. I always did a lot of DMing. True. But yeah, any questions about inspiration before we move on? Um, no, I, I um, the spending. Can, can you mm-hmm. manipulate that role even further to be like add a like a set modifier to your inspiration rather than rolling advantage. Brian, this is Dungeons and Dragons. You can do whatever you want. But yeah, that's, that, is that is not part of the optional rules, but I do like that idea. Although I find that advantage is such a sleek mechanic in and of itself. True. true. Um, advantage is so good. Uh, although I am, a, I am all, I've always been a fan of like flat bonuses, especially, I mean, 4E in 3, 3rd edition, it's flat bonuses for days. Right. Um, which gets tedious when you have like 19 of them. But um I actually, since there's such a lack of flat bonuses in this game, I find it kind of fun and quaint when I see it. Yeah, yeah. what what are flat bonus options? Like, I know, like, uh, getting cover gives well, you, like, a flat there's bonus. the obvious proficiency bonus. That's one of your few flat bonuses. Right, that you that's, you apply that um, to, like, Cover, like you said, cover can uh, be flat bonuses. Can you think of any um, other ones? I can't. Off the top of my head, uh, I think assisting someone might be a flat bonus, but I'm pretty sure it just gives you advantage. I think I'd have to look into it. I always kind of do that at my discretion. It's a very good question, Brian, and I don't wish I had the answer on hand, uh, but I'll look into it because now I'm thinking. curious. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure someone in the comments will let us know. Absolutely. But let's move on to the next um, optional rule, which is a very interesting one. 
and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it's called Plot Points. Oh, I've read I've read over that, I think. Yeah. Um, kind of lightly. I don't so, really remember what it's about. Can so, you tell me, Will? <laughs> I mean, that's what my plan is. So Good. this is an optional rule for groups that are really into to the improvisational side of D&D. Okay. Um, of the storytelling, I should say. Right. Uh, essentially, each player at the table starts every session with one plot point. And at any point in the session, they can spend said plot point to change the direction of the game's story. Ooh. Now, the Dungeon Master's Guide gives three options uh, that the player can use when it comes to these narrative changes. Obviously, I think you can come up with a lot of your own, but the three that are provided are actually pretty wild. So the first option that a player can exercise when spending a plot point is titled What a Twist. Okay. (laughs) Using this option allows the player to add some element to the setting or situation that the entire group, uh, excuse me, that the entire group must accept as true. Uh, such something such as like uh, the party found a secret door or an NPC suddenly appears or a monster turns out to be a long lost ally that's, that's polymorphed <laughs> into a hard beast. Dope. And now everyone has to improvise and be like, oh, yeah, this of course, this is true. So it's a lot of like, yes, and yes, and yes, and. yes but which is cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. It also sounds like it would stress me out as a dungeon master. <laughs> well, I mean, you need to buy into that. If this is what you're going to do, right. you need to lean in and uh, yes it, and. Yes, exactly. And it, it sounds like it'd be a lot of zany fun. Um, we do some yes and after every short rest. It's true. Or we try. <laughs> we try to. <laughs> so the, uh, the, fo- the next option, uh, option two, is called the plot thickens. And this option is actually built on the, the first option. It requires one player to use the what a twist option first. Okay. So this option, the plot thickens, allows the second player to add a complication to the scene on top of whatever the first player added. Yes. So this okay. is this is the the yes but part. So the first person's like yes and second person's like yes but. Mm-hmm. So uh, the example that's given is if the first player spends a point to find a secret door, then the second player might state that the o- that opening the door actually triggers a magical trap that teleports the party to another part of the dungeon. Oh, okay. So it's just like twist after twist after twist. Sure, sure. Um, and that could be fun. Yeah. And then there's the final one. Now, this is where it gets really wild. Option three. Uh, the gods must be crazy, it is titled. And uh, essentially, a player that uses their point with this option does so and becomes the dungeon master. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's amazing. Okay. The, the DM, who should have a character ready to go, because this is an option, uh, now becomes a PC, and the original player's PC becomes an NPC, and the game continues. So there's a there's an NPC around that the dungeon... the. The normal dungeon master should be able to jump into at any time. That I mean, th- that's not the only way to do it, but it's definitely a way I would probably do it. So basically, like everybody's got because there's the DM PC, right? Have you heard uh, of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a little bit different than a NPC, but yes, right. Yeah, they, yeah, it is. It sounds like you should have one of those, though. Yeah, I think in this it would be very, very extraordinarily appropriate, <laughs> which is improv- not something that is ever appropriate almost ever anywhere else. Unless you improv that too, like, and then everyone just agrees that you were there the whole time and weren't having much of an impact. That doesn't sound like as much fun. You no, that's not as much fun. There. That's not as much fun. That uh, because when you're already into. dealing with this level of improv, you got to be able to suspend your disbelief to the best of your ability. And why make the job harder for yourself by doing hand wavy stuff like that? I, I think most DMs usually have like a their main NPC character that they tote around with them. Like, I, I mean, it's difficult. I know that's your style. I think it's difficult for uh, ongoing campaign to happen without NPCs kind of accruing around the party. Yes, because um, like that's just gonna like 
probably naturally have. They make allies. They make enemies. Yeah, exactly. You, you roll with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so exactly. if you make an ally and you convince them to come with you, well, there they are. And now, right. now you have to roll extra die in combat. Yeah. And for example, with Super Quest Saga, it's like, well, you got two situations that have caused NPCs to stick with you guys. One is... Well, it's her ship, so you guys and you guys are kind of all in this together. So everyone's riding on this NPC's ship, and then the other NPC is kind of the MacGuffin of the series, where it's like, yes, we she's we are the thing. She's the MacGuffin. Yeah, she's the MacGuffin, and so obviously so there's somebody we need you guys for resources. Her around there's the basic black and white of it is there's somebody we need for resources who's always there, and then mm-hmm. there's somebody that we are trying to solve their mystery. Yeah, and, you have you have a plot driver, and then you have like the resource manager. Yeah, and yeah, they're both they're basically. both NPCs that pretty much go with us almost everywhere. Yeah, it, regardless of whether they actually do anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes they just like sit out. There's like, fact, nah, not the this less one. they do, the happier I am. <laughs> Fair. So um, any questions about plot points before we move on? Um, I think I'm going to incorporate it in one of the games I play on the side. I think that is an excellent decision. Yeah, and see how I that know runs. the game you're talking about. Yeah, that sounds hilarious. It's already an improv game, so right, right. we might as well. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's move on. The uh, next option, uh, again, uh, almost all these options, uh, with the exception of Inspiration, are available in the Dungeon Master's Guide, in case anyone's curious where you can find them. That's where they are. Yeah, just leaf through that thing. You'll mm-hmm. see like all like you'll see plot points in the index or whatever. There you go. Um, so spell points. Let's talk about spell points. Now this is also very interesting, and probably not an option I'll ever do for. Well, you'll see why. So this is an option um, that is a different take on spell casting. Rather okay. than using uh, slots of various levels for casting spells, with spell points, casters have a singular resource pool of points that they can spend for their casting. Okay. Um, so. I believe the the system that is like known as like the D D system of slot spellcasting is called the uh, Vancean system. Vancean? Yeah, and it's because of the creator of the system. I can't remember the details off the top of my head, but um but it's very specific to D and okay. it's very unlike pretty much most spellcasting and anything else that is in D and D. Okay. Most spellcasting I, I see outside of Dungeons and Dragons tends to be kind of this exertion of will thing. And it's like the spellcaster can keep casting whatever magic it is they do until they kind of just run out of energy. They run out of mana, if you will. Yeah, like an endurance based like yeah. like, like sprinting. Yeah. Spell points are essentially just mana points. Yeah. It's just a okay. mana pool. So um, this adds a level of flexibility to spellcasting at the cost of some complexity. So the level of the spell being cast dictates how many points it costs to cast. Um, Level 1 spells cost 2 points. Level 2 costs 3. Level 3 costs 5. Level 4 costs 6 points. Level 5 costs 7. Level 6 costs 9. Level 7 costs 10. Level 8 costs 11. And level 9 spells cost 13 points to cast. Okay. So the character gains points as they level, and there's a nice little chart in the Dungeon Master's Guide, you know, a little progression table. Okay. And a full caster at level 20 will have 133 points between long wrists that they can spend, which is a lot of fucking points. Yeah. It's a big mana bar. I mean, can you just abuse, like, can you just spend 13 every time? And Yes, ca- you can. Yeah, that's pretty and damn good. That's the next thing I was going to say. Now... This can uh, make spellcasters uh, a wish. bit ridiculous uh, because wish. it means that a level 20 caster can cast 10 level 9 spells versus a level 20 caster under normal cir- circumstances can only cast one per long rest outside of other features. Right. Because they only get one level it. 9 slot. Right. Uh, it's not about points. So, yeah, it's it's essentially can you, you know, 10 level 9 spell slots. Yeah, you're, you're at a mana, but everything is probably dead. so you're good i mean basically you have 10 nukes in your arsenal yeah i mean um hey 
But at the same, a lot of nukes. Yeah, at the same time, I feel like at, at some of the lower levels, but like maybe between one and ten, this could be a lot of fun to to mess around with. Sure, kind um, of buff out your 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 spellcaster a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and also just I like that flexibility because like sometimes you just want to go full full nuke. Uh, sometimes you want to be more creative. Yeah, I mean it sounds fun in a, a heavy magic setting, and if you True. want if you want to kind of change the pacing of your game, it sounds like this is one of the ways to do it. Right. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, so uh, like I said, level twenty full caster gets uh, one hundred thirty three points. Uh, half casters max out at sixty four points, and one third casters max out at thirty two points. Okay, okay. So, yeah. so even even the low end is still pretty good. Yeah, it's not too shabby. I mean, thirty two points at level twenty for a third caster is pretty shitty, but I mean, you're you're, you're a, third, you're a caster. third caster. You're doing other stuff. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, uh, any questions about spell points before we move on? Um, I'm trying to think like what other scenario I could incorporate that into, but I'm, you know, magic is my weakest point in as a player, I think. Yeah. It's not my real, really forte. I'm getting better at it as I'm playing a warlock, but even that is like real different the way the spell slots for warlocks are. After having, after having done the battle royale with all those level 20 players, um, Oh, we hosted a, we hosted a battle royale on our Patreon. Yeah. With our patrons. Yes. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, and seeing just the, the level of power coming out of all the spellcasters arsenal, I just don't feel like spell points is something I'm very interested in. I mean, already seeing what they can do at level 20, I'm like, this is already really cool, fun and creative. I'm not really interested in someone just blowing, you know, all their points on like super high level spells. I mean, you could like, you could, you would have to cater your, this is the kind of game you would have to run, you know, where spell casting sounds, it just sounds so much more powerful than spell slots. Yeah, but I mean, again, if you do, if you do spend the 10 level nine spells and you're just out, you got nothing left versus a normal spellcaster. It's like, yeah, you pop off your nine, but you have all these slots ranging from one to eight. And, like, oh yeah. You, you I have mean, much more longevity. True. You know, that, you know, the, uh, the spell point thing is much more conducive for uh, Nova damage, if you will. Just all the damage all at once as fast as you can. Yeah, the abuse of the higher levels. I mean, you don't have to cast nine. There's pl- plenty of other great spells. Yeah, you can be more creative with the points. It's just obviously that's the first thing I gravitated to. was like, well, I could cast 10 level nine spells, which is ungodly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but True. yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. So Who um, needs longevity when you can do that? Let's talk about Renown. Yes, so, uh, a system we use in FBATS. Okay, so you do use this. So you can tell me what it's like using it. Because I started off reading about Renown. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. And then the more I read about it, I was like, oh, this sounds like something I would never use because the way I run games just doesn't really work like this. Well, I've thought about it when we were playing Super Quest Saga. On yeah. like, in a way, mm-hmm. you we have built Renown yes. because we have interacted with fact with people who are obviously in factions. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you you have factions in your game. Yep. Uh, and it's it's just quantifying the level of of yeah oh like I how, know what you're trying to say yeah like I, I'll I'll cover that too but y- like, yeah if you were to put numbers to who we've interacted with to see how much they like us and how much yeah. how much pool we have with them you can quantify that yes and then you you rank up as you gain points right right so I only use I only use a system with one fact I only keep like hard track of one faction in in FBATS and that is mm-hmm. the the players so. I guess I should just do a quick explanation. Yeah. Uh, Flashbang and the Surgeon is a superhero game. There, I've talked about it on our last optional rules episode because I use a lot of optional rules in it. There's two players. They've taken on a superhero persona. They work for old Bruce Wayne, who's like the Batman Beyond version version of Bruce Wayne, and they fight crime. They live by Bruce Wayne's code. 
like Batman's code to not kill. Um, like any kind of moral code, you can beat the crap out of anybody. Just like don't kill them, pretty much is the rule. And we we plug uh, we plug them into episodes of Batman the Animated Series that I turn into a game. So uh, they are basically if they break the the Batman code, they lose faction points. Right, and if they, which makes sense. As they gain faction points, they access they gain access to a special shop that right. I included in the game. To See, that's a very good implementation of this system. Like that's really good. Yeah, I, I love it. it <laughs> yeah, it, it's like okay, we level up, and you got you get. I quantify their faction points every game, so they earn them by beating up bad guys, pretty much, and then completing <laughs> How the goal. Bad guys, you beat up today. Yeah, like did you catch that guy? Like they've missed mm-hmm. out on faction points because they worked out a deal with a bad guy one time. Oh wow! I was like, okay, you don't get those faction points, and they were like, but, that's cool. It was Catwoman. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, so that's like, cool. They that's ended cool. up doing the Selena Kyle thing, like a little different than Batman would. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, like in. In bat, spoilers for F-Bats, I guess, uh, <laughs> but everybody that has access behind the paywall knows already. But like they instead of like in the show, Batman puts Selena Kyle in jail and she she gets she out. Does. She gets out. As and, she does. Yeah. And she gets out as a normal person. Like she does. I think she does it the right way. And then oh, she well. ends up going back to jail again. Mm. But um they worked out a deal and like didn't put her in jail. Oh, they very, were like very not Batman like. Well, but it, also very Batman like. <laughs> Well, my Batman character was like, she needs to go to jail. Right. And that's why they didn't get those faction points. But they were able to justify not putting her in jail to him. And he's like, you know what? I wouldn't have done that, but I have to trust your judgment. Right. So, so it's like you don't lose renown, but you don't gain it. You didn't either. gain any. Okay. Yeah. He's like, you know, that so, this one's kind of rough. We got to keep an eye on this. Right. But okay. it, it, yeah, it did hurt them in the faction a little bit, but they had gained the, the faction's trust at that point. That's pretty late in the series. It's like right. eight sessions deep or something. Yeah. Okay, so before we we continue with your experience with Renown, let's actually explain Renown. So Renown is an optional rule designed for tracking a character's standing or reputation with a particular organization, faction, or population at large. Uh, Renown is a numerical value that represents this reputation and increases or decreases based off how the character curries favor or causes ire towards said faction or organization. Uh, characters with high renown gain benefits, including ranks, titles, access to resources like your shop that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. uh, slash perks within the organization. Uh, renown points are to be given to characters at the DM's discretion. Uh, in your case, you have a really good system of like, were you a hero today or, right, exactly. or did you act not like a hero? Yeah, were you yeah. like self? Yeah, not like a hero. Exactly. Yeah. Basic. Now, there is not a hard cap to the amount of renown a character can have, but the scaling uh, that was shown in the examples in the Dungeon Masters guys seemed to range from zero to fifty, which is yeah. I, I think I have a, a more. Range. I think I I found that part lacking, mm-hmm. and I went and found somebody's homebrew like like scale online for mm-hmm. their renown system, and mm-hmm. I manipulated it to something that would fit what I was doing. Right, right. So I I've kind of like taken I've lifted the way basically I needed the points to scale a certain way yeah. for the show, and I I tweaked it to do that right and the next thing i was going to say is it, it is also up to the dungeon master to decide at what renowned milestones new ranks and perks can be accessed which it sounds like that's exactly what you did right i have an excel sheet and right when they when they make rank i highlight it so i've my struggle was like what if they do something bad and they lose all this renown do i have to like go back and like take this renown away from them or are they locked in once they breach a threshold and then they have to earn that renown back before they get to the next threshold and then i was okay. like you know what that's yeah. not realistic at all and i threw that away right i okay. like if you fuck up you fuck up and you're gonna get told you fucked up and there are gonna be consequences yeah no i think i think yeah. you, you definitely got that right for sure um 
So, I like this idea in theory. Okay. <laughs> and you've actually made me kind of change. You've changed my mind a little bit. I was like, okay, I could see how implement- implementation of this could be really cool. But for me, the amount of DM discretion that's on pretty much every aspect of this mechanic kind of makes me wonder what the point of the arbitrary renown score is. The DM decides how it scales. Um, the DM decides how a character can move it up or down and by how much and what, if any, milestones or limits there are. This is essentially, in my head, it's one step away from not being a system at all. Like, I would just, like like with Super Quest Saga, like, I would rather just not use this and decide for my myself if characters have gained any of these ranks slash perks based off game events. Yes, so like, Saga is not the game for Yeah, for it's, it's and the thing is, it most games I run are very plot-driven. Yes. And thus, like, the story would dictate who who feels what about who you know what i mean yes and the the points just it just really wouldn't fit um but in f bats it seems like it it fits perfectly like if it's really well it sounds like oh it's it's perfect because yeah. the the players are constantly being held to the standards of other people right and right. They, they're deciding where they fall in line with that like am i i'm not batman so how do I deal with this? Like, like there are variations in the, the way they deal with situations that changes the outcome of what happened in the Batman episode. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we just, okay, I take that piece and plug it into our our story, our personal story mm-hmm. that is developing, and we flow from there. But right the, the, the one renowned score we have, it reflects on, like, how does the city feel about you? How does the government right. feel about you? Basically, when Ravnica came out, I was like, oh, the Renown is perfect for Ravnica because I think it's all guilds, right? It is. It's all guilds. And that's the per- I think that's the perfect way to look at it is like, hey, Definitely. I want to get in with the with a thieves guild. Um, right. I have to do things to gain their respect. And mm-hmm. as you do that, you earn the, the Renown points you gain are representations of those milestones in plot. Right. Where you're like, oh, I broke into this bank and stole a thing and I, I proved it. And they were like, oh, that's cool. You 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 got some in with us. Hey, nice, nice theft. Bro. <laughs> nice, nice hey, even good lock pick, dog. Um, <laughs> it it kind of works like that. It's like, oh, right. that guy picked lock good. Maybe mm. we let him in Thieve Guild. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. If you gain enough renown, you could technically become part of the Thieves Guild based on and you can like be up front with your players like this is how much renown you have. This is how much you need. Yeah. These are the types of things. This is who the guild is. You know, right. I have to keep track. There's a guy that works for a construction company run by dwarves in FBATS, and he has renown with them uh, because it, if he ruins, if he's superheroing at night and still working his day job and they find out that's a bad beat. Right. So like he's got to be careful with that. But his he's in good standing right now. It's just like those are the types of things I think you need to think about if you're doing renowned stuff right it's oh, like okay. all faction base i mean you could put it overlay this onto saga but it would change everything it would change the it way would. we play the game it would change the way that the game feels for right. sure because you're, you're trying to achieve this this quantified goal by obtaining points so you're more right. driven to like do the things based off of the faction system than just role play yeah and that's the thing i, I do think that the way that we tend to play at super quest saga table and any table i run it's uh, the, a lot of the mechanics get left at the wayside. It's the, our games are way less about mechanics and more about like just playing the story and see what happens. Yeah, so it's, um, it's just all about what you're sitting down, sitting down to do. True. Really. And with that being said, let's take a short rest. Mm-hmm. Selling a little. Or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hello everyone, welcome to the part of the episode we're not talking about that last thing. It's dirty, we don't want it. We want this new thing, it's clean and fresh. Don't drink that water, Will. Tell them about your love. Um, I love you. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Um, Will, they missed you on the last one. Oh, yeah, they did, because I was not here for the short rest. I forgot about that. <laughs> I completely forgot about it. I was too busy short resting. It was still full of, so don't worry. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, check out Super Quest Saga, and we have a contest about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we have an <laughs> ongoing contest that if you want to win a copy of the upcoming book, uh, Descent into Avernus, all you have to do is share our live play 5e D&D podcast, SuperQuest Saga. Uh, you can share it on Twitter with the hashtag SuperQuest. You do can it. share it on other social media and go ahead and send me a screenshot of that. Do it. Um, you can send that to thedungeoncast.gmail.com or do you it. can uh, do whatever it is that Brian's having you guys do on Instagram. Do it. Uh, you t- you find the Descent to Avernus post and you tag two people and recommend SuperQuest Saga to them. There's a link in the bio of the Instagram description for SuperQuest Saga specifically. There we go. And I believe we have some patrons to thank. Oh, yeah. We usually do that first. Sorry, patrons. Jeez, dude. Where am I? This has been some, there's some crazy stuff going on in, in life. Uh, okay. Let's just start again. You know, fuck it. Well, we're going to go a couple days back. We're probably going to double shout some people, but I love double shouting people. So yeah, lucky, no wrong double lucky you guys. Uh, thanks, Mike Wilkinson, for upping the pledge, brother. Thanks, Mike. Um, thank you, Sean Fulan. Thanks, Sean. Uh, thank you, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah. Robert LePage. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> uh, Ian Murphy. Is you look familiar. Ian? Yeah. Or is it Ewan? Thanks, uh, Ian. Ian. I think I think he emailed. <laughs> I think he messaged us last time oh, I said his name wrong. I did not see that one. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, hey, welcome back, Jack. Jacker the Slacker. It's Jacket the Slacker. Jacket the Slacker. Thanks, it's kind Jacket. of far. Thank you. Uh, two Copper Jack. Thanks, Two Copper Jack. Some Jacks. Double Jacks. Pair of Jacks. Uh, Brian Yee. Thanks, Brian. That's with the Y. I'm with an I. We're like name adjacent. <laughs> it's true. Uh, thank you, Dale Brady. Thanks, Dale. And that's it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Um, I hope you're you're enjoying your bonus content. Um, at the $5 level, you can get early episode access. You usually get it one to two weeks early. Um, at the $10 level, you get access to Flashbang and the Surgeon. Sorry for talking about that so much uh, in the regular episode. If you want to, I, I ju- I'm just drawing off my experience, my experience as a dungeon master, and that's the bulk of it. So if you if you want to check that out, you can do that there. There's also a ton of other live plays we do that are hilarious and fun, mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. a lot of different styles of dungeon mastering. Uh, you got Will in there, you got me in there. Um, yeah, you guys can go check that out. Twenty bucks, you get some cool exclusive merch, and you get access to everything else I mentioned. Plus, uh, I think it's the merch. Yeah, it's just the merch. I think there's some other live play stuff that you get at 20 that you don't get in other spots. But uh, that being said, I think we should get out of this short rest and get in back to the show. Let's get back to the show. Let's get back to the show. The return of us. We've done it. <laughs> Indeed, we have. We've returned. So we have a few more uh, optional rules to talk about. And the first one I want to bring up on this end of the short rest is loyalty. Okay. Now, this mechanic has some similarities uh, to Renown, but it's a bit more structured than Renown was. Remember, I was talking about Renown is so much is left up to DM discretion. Yeah. Uh, loyalty a little bit less so. It's a little bit more simple, too, though. Okay. Essentially, this is an optional rule that can be implemented to measure how far an NPC will go in order to protect or assist members of the party. Oh, okay. This NPC loyalty is measured with a loyalty score that exists on a numerical scale from 0 to 20. There is a caveat to this. Um, uh, NPC's maximum possible loyalty score is equal to the highest charisma score among all the adventurers in the party. So if you have Warlock with 18 charisma and that's the highest, the highest the NPC can be loyal is 18. Okay, sweet. So when an NPC joins a party, its starting loyalty score is equal to half the total of the highest charisma score among all adventurers in the party. Um, it's suggested to keep NPC loyalty scores secret from the players in order to make their loyalty more a little more ambiguous. Okay. Um, if the party helps an NPC achieve a goal of theirs, um, their loyalty score, score will increase by 1d4. If Ooh. the if the NPC is treated particularly well, like maybe, I don't know, given a nice gift or a feast in their honor, their loyalty will increase by 1d4. Rub their feet after a long day of adventuring. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I definitely would have wanted to implement the loyalty score if we had gone through with D'Artagnan having a retainer. Oh, gosh. That yeah, hilarious. that would have been cool. <laughs> um, I just thought of a bard with uh, a, a high charisma, high strength bard that gives massages. Yeah, that I sounds like awesome. That. that does sound fun. <laughs> if the party acts in a manner that is counter to the NPC's beliefs or interests, the loyalty score will de- decrease by 1d4. And if the NPC is outright abused or endangered, their loyalty will decrease by 2d4. Mm. Uh, a loyalty score of zero uh, means that the NPC is no longer loyal and will likely part ways as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that fight was Fuck too you guys. crazy. <laughs> Fuck y'all, I'm out. A loyalty score of 10 or up, the NPC will risk life and limb for the party. 
Uh, Lordsly score of one to ten. NPC's loyalty is a bit tenuous. Okay. So pretty I, simple. I, I would love the Appreciate ongoing gag of like every time an NPC hits uh, zero on the loyalty, <laughs> fuck this shit, I'm out. Yeah, they just yeah, bounce. I can see that. Just do that sure. every time. Yeah, absolutely. no words. Fuck you guys, I'm out. So, any questions about loyalty before we move on? It it is very simple. Um, like it's kind of a weird. Is that necessary? It's, no, I mean it's obviously not. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not necessary. I think it, it. For me, this is a good. Uh, option to implement if there's someone for hire. With yeah, the party. I, I like I like it with the idea of like yeah. a, a player getting a retainer. That yeah. seems more right. Like only I, sometimes. I, not- again, I would not use this in Super Quest Saga. Like this loyalty factor just isn't a thing that would work with Victoria or Primina as your tag along NPCs. Like you guys are a close knit group. Yeah, it's, there's more than loyalty going on. There's, yeah, exactly. There's like, a, there's like an intangible need. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There, there, there's also a tangible need. It, this seems like it would be way too uh, ambitious to blanket this mechanic over all your NPCs. That and would just be to, just to kind of narrowly a pain in the ass. Like, hey, you you have something where it's relevant and it's kind of like a gray area on the role play of it. So mm-hmm. let me just incorporate the score, right? And that will kind of. Especially if you have a player that's a little testy about it all and would be upset if they lost this character. Like, you can't take my retainer away from me, blah, blah, blah. But if you repeatedly treat them like shit, then maybe. Yeah, you've quantified why you don't deserve this retainer. Yeah. And that, that'd be, <laughs> that's a cool cleanup tool for a dungeon master mm-hmm. with some troublesome stuff. Or it's just fun, like, to to tag on to somebody in, in that category. Seems right good. Up. All right, well, let's move on to some more tactical-style optional rules. I got three of them to talk about today, and the first one we're going to talk about is flanking. Oh, yeah. Now, this is one I we, didn't realize that was optional. It is optional, and it's one we tend to use. Yes. Um, it's a carryover from previous editions. Essentially, if two characters are adjacent to the same enemy but on opposite sides of the enemy, they will have advantage on attack rolls. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, this rule just makes sense. It's like if one person has a person attacking them from the front and a person attacking from behind... They're going to have advantage on that attack because, uh, you know, like, what's that person going to do? It can't. They can't be defending in two directions at once. Yeah, I always kind of thought it was weird. I felt I feel like the person just on the backside should be the one with advantage. That's if you do facing. Remember that normally, normally facing isn't a thing in uh, D&D tactics, although it's the next optional rule I am going to talk about. Um, and generally the idea is that. When a character is in a space, they are generally taking up all the area by being aware and turning and like being aware of all things around them. Yeah. So like like an elbows out. In the moment of yeah. a person's attack, yes, the the enemy's probably facing you, but throughout the round, they're not necessarily facing you. So that's why both people get advantage because again, this person's having to focus in two places at once rather than just one i honestly can see it both ways Mm because yeah like you want to like you do a strike and then you're like turning back and forth to try and mitigate so yeah i I kind of if you want to do facing you can it is the next optional rule and oh but let's get into it (laughs) so if you want the precision of knowing which way a creature is facing consider this the optional rule whenever a creature ends its move it can change its facing direction each creature has a front arc, the direction that it faces, and a left and right side arcs, as well as a rear arc. A uh, creature can also change its facing as a reaction when any other creature moves. 
Uh, a creature can normally target only creatures in its front or side arcs. It can't see at all into its rear arc. This means an attacker in the creature's rear arc makes attack rolls with advantage. Uh, holding a shield, apl- shields only apply to uh, the character's bonus AC only against attacks from the front arc or the same side arc as the shield itself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. For example, a fighter with a shield on the left arm can use it only against attacks from the front and left arcs. Uh, all creatures have every type of arc, or not all creatures, excuse me, not all creatures have every type of arc. For example, an amorphous jelly uh, could treat all of its arcs as front arcs, which makes sense to me. It has no front. It is all front. <laughs> it's all back, baby. <laughs> well, a hydra might have three front arcs and only one rear arc, which also makes sense to me. On squares, you pick one side of a creature's space as the direction it is facing. Draw a die. Oh, yeah. And this just kind of like the rest of the rules, because I was reading that verbatim. The rest of the rules just kind of draw how you designate that on the grid. Like you oh, draw yeah. like a line of basically what, where are they facing? Where are their arcs? This sounds like a fucking pain in the ass. I would never do this. <laughs> um, I mean, I doesn't this kind of give back to a little bit of what 4E took away or what 5E took away from 4E in the tactical side? 4E of... never did facing. Nothing no? like this. No, not at all. Well, I know that like the tactical... Yeah, 4E was definitely more tactical, but it was more tactical in the sense of like different powers had different tactical effects that yes, you had to true. account for versus like this facing this thing like... would literally come into play every single turn. It would slow combat down to a sluggish pace because every turn it's like, okay, who's facing where? Okay, you're facing this way, so my guy's going to approach from this angle, so I can take uh, advantage of your right side since you don't have a shield over here. Well, I think that's. Like, I think you're 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 taking a subjective viewpoint on that for the way we play. Oh yeah, no, this is definitely a very attractive rule to people who like war game style of of battles. Yeah, because I could see like if you're if you're combat oriented game, mm-hmm. yeah, that that could get slow and boring. But right. if you have this extra layer here, it might give the the tactical like it's about the tactical side and this would grant grant a lot more depth to that yes and also again if you're focused on more combats making like real world parallel sense you know to the to the highest degree then Mm -hmm. yeah you're going to want something like this um yeah because like you said like you said like um it make this makes more literal sense versus you know the whole just advantage by flanking kind of deal, right? Because a, bu- a buckler shield doesn't protect your whole body, like like no, like if you no. get hit from the left side and your buckler's on your right, it kind of just makes sense that you're it, not going to be as protected with the, the plus so two or com- whatever. It comes down to how you interpret combat in DD, whether it's like every like everything's literal and everything is quantified versus like this is more along the lines of like rules we use to cinematically describe a combat. Yeah, like more uh I have used theater combat before. It's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. It's mm-hmm. so much fun to just like let your guys smack the crap out of everybody pretty much. Right. Um it just it's all, I guess it's just all relevant to what you're doing, which yeah. is what I continue to say over and over again. Right. <laughs> These are all optional rules. <laughs> Indeed. So the last uh tactical rule I want to talk about is called diagonals. Um, diagonals in D&D are a different way of measuring movement that is more accurate to real-life geometry. Uh, normally in D&D, movement in any direction is measured in equal, equally in units of five feet. Five cubes. So simple, but not accurate. Uh, using the this rule changes that and measures diagonal movement on a battle grid differently. So for the first diagonal square traveled, it only counts as five feet. The second square of diagonal movement counts as ten feet of movement. Okay. So in order to move two diagonal squares, you would be using 15 feet of your movement. Okay. 
For every additional square move, the measurements uh, interval between 5 and 10 feet. Um, this form of diagonal movement is a holdover, actually, from 3rd edition, and also Pathfinder uses this as well. Okay. So it actually makes more geometrical sense to do this, but it, you know, it can also just be it a little tedious. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you're, I usually don't worry about it. Yeah, it sounds like if you're doing the last optional roll, you're probably doing this one too. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing facing, you're probably also doing. Well, if, I guess if you're doing facing, you're not really doing flanking because they do. Uh, what's the word? They do kind of counter counteract Conflict. each other. But I, I think if you're doing facing, you're probably doing diagonals too because that's the kind of person you are. <laughs> yeah. So, any questions about any of these tactical options before we move on? Um, I'm trying. I'm just trying to imagine a game in which this is how I play, and it, it just sounds more like a war game. Like, uh, which brings me to the point of like, why, why not just play, play a war game? Uh, maybe you want to play D and D. Maybe I guess you so. maybe you have like long chunks of role play in between your co- your long chunks of combat. Maybe, maybe I don't know. Could be. That's a good question, though. Why not? Why not just do the other thing if that's what you're trying to do? Right. But, right. Yeah. There could. I'm sure there's a reason. There's a reason it's written as an optional rule. This is true. Get at us in the comments if you do this. <laughs> so let us know. We have two more options to cover, uh, and the next one I want to cover is called massive damage. Mm. So massive damage is an optional rule that makes it easier for creatures to be felled by massive damage. Okay. <laughs> so when a creature takes damage from a single source equal to or greater than half of its po- hit point maximum. Uh, it must succeed a DC 15 constitution saving throw or suffer a random effect determined by a roll on the system shock table. Ooh. Uh, for example, a creature that Sounds has... threatening. I know. For example, a creature that has a hit point maximum of 30 must make a constitution save if it takes 15 damage or more. And uh, the system shock table is... It's a, a D10 that you roll. Okay. And there are one, two, three, four, five um, possible effects. If you roll a one, the creature... Drops to zero hit points. Rather than just half, it just dies. Cool. Okay. <laughs> and it Sweet. does die because it's not stable. Because the next effect is if you roll a two or three, the creature drops to zero, but is stable. Okay. Uh, four to five, the creature is stunned until the end of its next turn, which is pretty devastating. Yes. Uh, six or seven, the creature can't take reactions and has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks until the end of its next turn. Also devastating yes and finally if you roll eight to ten the creature can't take reactions until the end of its next turn now that's less devastating but still effective you give your enemy a concussion now there are things about this that i like and things that i don't i like that there is a bit of realism to this if you do something so massive and damage to another living being it like people's bodies go into shock like people yeah people die people like freeze up and stuff yeah, like, like that. And creatures, too. Like people, people that like fall over when they get shot. Even yeah. They like, exactly. didn't get shot in the leg. Exactly. Um, and so I kind of like that. Plus, it's always fun to like when, uh, like a paladin, for example, because they're really kind of like nukey characters, when they nuke oh, with like their smite. divine smites yeah. and all that other stuff. This being a possibility is a lot of fun from a player standpoint. Uh, but the thing i don't really like about this is i think it's a little too easy to exploit because yeah what's the i've cred- seen what's the players can it? do uh a single a single source of damage that is greater to or equal to half a hit point maximum okay so so you you could do that you like, could do that if and this is I mean, in effect you would exploit it yeah and honestly i've seen some massive damage from some characters so i don't know if I would ever implement this, but I do like the idea in theory and it does sound fun. Maybe you've got a three man party and you're DMing for a four man party and one of them is a paladin. Maybe you could just like, I don't know. You could probably set it up so it's balanced. Yeah, I'm sure you could. 
So um, the last a optional rule we're going to talk about is called morale. Now, I use this kind of. I mean, I have my own take on this that mm-hmm. I use. Okay. But some combatants might run away when a fight turns against them. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You can use this optional rule to help determine when monsters and NPCs flee. So a creature might flee under any of the following circumstances. A creature is surprised, might flee. Creature is reduced to half its hit points or fewer for the first time in battle, might flee. Creature has no way to harm the opposing side on its turn. Now, this is one I uh, definitely, this is one I implement. It's like, oh, there's nothing I can do and shit's going south. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm not going to just stand here. Yeah, exactly. Like, I have an option to, yeah. like, at least save my skin. Right. Yeah, that one makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Um, a group of creatures might flee under any of the following circumstances. Uh, all the creatures in the group are surprised. <laughs> Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. The group's leader is reduced to zero hit points. So that's another one I use. Um, as a matter of fact, that's one I recently used in, uh, well. Well, hang on. Let me see. Let me see. When does this air? I think. Yeah, no, not spoilers. It should have been the last episode that aired in Super Quest Saga. This is one I use uh, in the last episode of Super Quest Saga, <laughs> where a leader went down and there was fleeing. Oh, um, uh, Lizard Folk? Yes. Okay. And uh, that is the next episode that airs, right? I'm not. Tripping on that? It airs, this? it airs the Tuesday before um It airs this, this Tuesday, episode. right? So, okay, cool, cool, cool. This Tuesday, this episode's coming out the Sunday after that episode came out. So that episode gotcha. has come out at the time you're hearing this. <laughs> okay. Dear God, that was such a fucking crazy episode. Please go watch <laughs> Super Quest Saga. Man, that was a lot of fun. I love the way it all played out. But I'm still, on. I just got nervous right now on Everyone, accident. everyone was fucking shook after that. It yeah. was great. Oh, um, man. And somebody in our Discord uh, nailed it. By oh, the way, did they? Did yeah, they? and I have to look at that. God damn, they're gonna hear this today in the early episode. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, you know what? We should drop before we drop the early episode. Let's put in the Patreon uh, uh, Discord spoiler spoilers toward the end. Yeah. yeah okay. The end. All right. Oh, let, let's back to group creatures fleeing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the group is reduced to half its original size. That's another one I do. It's like okay, more than half of us are done. Like let's get the hell out of here. Um, now I do this for two reasons, and the main reason is. Uh, battles that go too long really bore me, mm. uh, especially when it's like a war of attrition, like that is. It's like okay, we're on the losing side. Where you spend like the last ten rounds of it, ru- like someone's running, and yeah, like, you're just trying. And to, then yeah. I swear, in those situations, suddenly all the misses start coming out, and I everyone's know. missing. I'm just like, what is happening? Here? Like, can it's like the dice are like, oh, you want this to go a long time? It seems <laughs> let's help. Um, so that's one of the reasons. The other reason I do it is because it just makes sense. You know, if uh, you know, survival, uh, self preservation is an instinct most creatures have. So if it makes sense that a creature would flee over staying in a fight that they know they're going to lose, um, I'm probably going to make them flee. Yeah. And that tracks with us as like a role play centric. Like we're going to role play. We're not just role playing the role play. We're role playing the combat. Right. Like now. Oh, go yeah. No, go, go for it. Oh, so the, the, the way the mechanic of morale works is these are just situations that it gives us examples when uh, a creature might flee. Um, the way it says to determine whether a creature or group of creatures flees is by making a DC 10 wisdom saving throw for the creature or the group's leader. If the opposition is overwhelming, the saving throw is made with disadvantage, or you can decide that the save fails automatically. So again, DM discretion. Basically, you should have just said DM discretion. Uh, if a group's leader can't make the saving throw for whatever reason, have the creature in the group with the next highest charisma score make the saving throw. On a failed save, the affected creature or group flees by the most expeditious route possible. If escape is impossible, the creature or group surrenders. If a creature or group that surrenders is attacked by its conquerors, <laughs> the battle might just resume. It's unlikely that further attempts to flee or surrender will be made. Um, yada, yada, yada. So you, that's, you got the gist of it. That's morale. It sounds like players that have access to like minor illusion are going to be able to exploit this. 
Like what do you at, mean at by the that? Maximum. Like you could make it sound like and there's an army coming down like the tunnel behind you, or yes, something like that. It's you know, true. You but do, you that's do always like, true. Like you, yeah. you, with or without this mechanic, that is that is true. Well, this this installs a mechanic that says like you need to give me advantage on this because I did this pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Although, see, like this mechanic's cool, but like I wouldn't use this mechanic in that situation because this mechanic puts the creatures kind of at a disadvantage unless they have like a whopping wisdom score. Even though DC 10 is pretty low. I would generally use like a deception check versus an insight check or something along those lines. Sure. Um, Cause it makes more sense to me, but obviously this is also a valid way to do that. I mean, it's tweakable. You could, you could just do that instead, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And then that's essentially what I yeah. would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With that being said, I think we can get ready for a long rest. And before we go, I'd like to tell our audience about TDC Plays, uh, mm-hmm. the YouTube channel where we here at the Dungeon Cast sit around and play some video games. And that's anything from Super Smash Brothers Ultimate to The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker HD to Mega Man X to Sonic Mania. And uh, right now we're doing a horror game called Darkwood, and it's really, really dark, man. Like, like, it's like, did you do a it's bad a thing to a game of sadness. Yeah. That, it's not a horror game. It's a sad game. It's a sadness game. But we are enjoying it. <laughs> come <laughs> enjoy our sad game. Come enjoy our sad game on TDC Plays. The link's in the description, and we'd really appreciate it if you guys go over there and subscribe. There's a link for our Discord down below. Go check that out. Thanks to all the mods in Discord. There's some awesome people in there if you want to talk about D&D, the show, or anything really Go find some, go make some D&D friends. True. If you're one of the many people that comment on our videos on YouTube saying that this is such a great game, you wish you had people to play with, uh, go find some in our Discord. There, there's lots of people ready to play one shots or whatever. Um, they're totally friendly and willing to help. It's a great community. Um, you could also find our Patreon, the Dungeon Cat, or patreon.com slash the Dungeon Cast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. You could find us at the Dungeon Cast at gmail.com. Um, is there anything else that uh, we've talked about Super Quest Saga quite a bit? Yeah. I think um, it is time that we called it a game. Goodbye, game. We'll talk to you guys later. I called you. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.